0: I'm more of a pastor when I put my suit jacket on. I love when I get to play with the band, though. It's really great. It's great to see you. It's great to be with you. We want to welcome new folks. Uh, a lot of, most of our students and a lot of young families in our church have already taken off, um, and I just want to take a moment just to pray for them. Uh, it's a funny thing, being a, a little bit on the young side as a church. Uh, even families, we found when it comes to this time, this season, they're going back to their families to celebrate and to go home for the season and um, not just travel, but this is just a really hectic season for a lot of the, the families and students who have really difficult family life back home. So if you're cool, before I just start, um, actually, even if you're not cool with it, I'm still going to do it because I have the microphone. Um, I'm going to pray for, uh, for our families and our students who uh, have, have left Lord Jesus we thank you uh, for the gift that it is to have um, to have just this millennial generation as a part of our community, um, to have uh, people who are just beginning the journey of marriage and, and those who are at uh, Brown and RISD and Johnson of Wales and PC and Bryant and uh, all the schools, Lord, you or I, around the, uh, around the city, and we pray, uh, of course, for, for safe travels, Lord. Um, we pray just for opportunities to love and to minister, um, to bless and to be generous, Lord, this time of year. We pray for those who are entering into this really rough uh, family life. Um, God, that you would just be the, the, the force of peacemaking, Lord, in their own life. or that they may be able to wade into really tumultuous waters, Lord, and bring just bring peace. Um to be to be able to uh, to carry the light of your love uh, into these settings, Lord. Pray that you just keep people safe. Those who are going back to what is almost abusive atmosphere, Lord. We just ask that you would uh, you would keep them keep them safe. Remind them, Lord, that they are yours. And uh, we obviously this morning pray for for anybody here in that same situation who maybe isn't traveling this year. But this is just the season brings up so much difficulty, so much loneliness, so much fatigue and anxiety. God, you you make all things new, and I've seen it in my own life and seen it in the lives of those who've said, yeah, I'm going to trust you. So in a world of chaos, Lord, I thank you that you remain the same and that you are continuing to do the unbelievably redemptive and beautiful work of putting us back together. To me, you do that, especially, Lord, and in the families of those, Lord, who are hurting this season. In your name, everybody said, amen. Um, I wanted to, I realized this, we haven't addressed this at all. I want to apologize for how cold it's been. I think on the one hand, it's been really good because these services t- during Advent tend to just lull everybody to sleep. So I think the cold maybe keeps you awake. I'd love to think that was our plan, but we're not that mean. Um, we've been trying to figure out the heat situation, um, and uh, I think we figured it out as of this week. We need to, like, turn it on at, like, 3 a.m. in the morning. We keep, like, backing up the times. It's still pretty cold out there, right? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Everyone's like, no, it's fine, Pastor. Um, Anyway, so next week we're making a commitment to you that you're going to come in and it's going to be nothing like a sauna, but it will be tolerable and warm. Um, I uh, There's a couple things I wanted to um, just draw your attention to. These gorgeous cards that you have, with the quote, uh, this is the quote that we're going to engage kind of this week, uh, that line up with these banners. So the people who put these banners together and all of this gorgeous, just garland and this unique take on the Advent wreath and all the decorations. There's a team that helped this person out, but uh, Susie Finnerty uh, was the one who really was the mastermind behind all this. And then Jessica Shue. Uh, was the one who put together all of these cards. She did all the calligraphy, that's her hands on the um, in the video. And there's a ton of people, we had some great creative meetings that got involved in this. But I just wanted to highlight those two in particular. Would you guys just stand up for a second? I know it's super awkward and you both hate that. But can we just give them a round of applause? Thanks, guys. Um, this has been by far the best Advent we have we have had, and I think in large part, uh, at least for me, it's been in large part just the team that's come around um, the community to help make this experience um, something beautiful. And then, secondly, I wanted to call out: Where's my is my sister here? Did she make it? She's here, Catherine. My sister's here. So I, there's like f- four of my favorite women in the world are now all in the state right now. My wife, my daughter, i got to do this right, my mom, and my sister. Um, So, hey, Catherine. It's really good to see you. Love you. She's the best. Um, She's, I think she's, no, I can't say anything about that. Never mind. Um, So many things I want to say. I love you. I don't even know where you are. She's, like, totally hiding right now. Uh, I want to invite us for this last week of Advent um, to process through something that is, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you've been around church, if you have the vaguest understanding of, like, Western history, um, this idea that Jesus is God, which is a a Christian understanding, some mysterious way Jesus is God in flesh, I want us to consider an aspect of that today that I think we too often... um, miss, and it's really actually should be hard for us to miss during this Advent season. Um, So, that said, if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open up to uh, Colossians 1.19. Just the book of Colossians in general, we're going to hang out there, and I just want to just establish a couple things about who Jesus is. So Colossians 1:19 says for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Who is the him in this section? Anybody? It's like the Sunday school answer. Christ. Christ Jesus. Jesus H Christ. Yes. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. These two passages, Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2.9, are reinforced all over the scripture. But it's interesting um, how hard I think sometimes it is for us, obviously, to grasp this idea. But we essentially know what God is like by looking at Jesus. Again, for some of us, this is like Christianity one hundred and one. For those of us, like who have never looked at the scriptures or are brand new to church, we understand the person of Jesus to be literally what God is like. There are other we get pieces of it. We're all made in the image of God. Um, there, there, you get glimpses of it in creation. We're told and the earth and the beauty around us and love. And so, there's all sorts of places we get an understanding, but the fullness of God is in Jesus. What, when we look at Jesus and how we understand then the rest of Scripture, how we understand when certain people make claims about God told me so, we have a place to go back to and we go, okay, does that look like God? And if there are places in Scripture that it seems like God's not acting even like Jesus, do we, how do we begin to understand like w- what's the right answer? How do we understand how God moves in certain ways throughout the scriptures when we're told that well, ultimately the full picture of who God is we find in him? The writer of Hebrews picks up on the same theme and says, the sun perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. We sing, when we sing the song in Christ alone, we sing fullness of God and helpless babe. Jesus shows us what God is like. So if someone were to ask you, what is your God like? Jesus is the answer. And if someone's like, all right, can you drill down a little bit on that? What is your God like? Well, Jesus hung out with blank. Well, Jesus sees, does this. Jesus engages his enemies like this. Jesus seems to love like this. Jesus gets ticked at things like this. This is is what God is like when I look at the Gospels in the Scripture. This becomes vital for us in terms of having any sort of, like, central understanding of what it means to live the life that God has called us to. And Jesus says, I've come to give them life to the full, the life of the ages. He's speaking of the life of God. So I want to go back backwards, to sort of like pull out a little bit, like talk about what Jesus and what God is like by talking about the ways we kind of mess everything up, which I know is a weird way to talk about Jesus, like his otherness, his holiness, his set apartness, so I want to pull up a a poll that I've I've referenced before, next slide Uh, outsiders ages of 16 to 29 were described, are described American Christians, this is a poll that the Barna group did And they said this, 85% of American Christians are hypocritical, awesome. 87% called Christians judgmental, sweet. 91% described Christians as anti-homosexual, awesome. And 75% said Christians are too involved in politics, amen. No. (laughs) I think someone in our staff just yelled amen. Um, But this stuff is the felt thing that this group, this age demographic, uh, immediately went to. These were the top things. Now for those of you out here who are chafing right now, like, oh, that's ridiculous. Some liberal MSNBC poll in there. Christians have been great forever. Like, already you've lost the posture of Jesus very quickly. We need to engage and be honest and go, well, we know that we're sinners. We don't need anybody outside to tell us that. We know that we've screwed up a whole lot. We know that we have missed the boat on a lot of things. And over and over in the Old Testament, God uses people who aren't in, aren't the Jews, aren't the Christians, to rebuke them all the time. So this shouldn't be new. So defensiveness is off the the, the, the chart. You've got to close down a bunch of like 24-hour cable news networks immediately. So they're gone. But what we do have to do is we have to go as followers of Jesus go, where is their truth here? And so as we look at these things, what I find fascinating is that when I look through the life of Jesus, if we're going to ask this question, what is Jesus like? All right, the ba- Our banner today is known. This is what Jesus, Jesus has made himself or God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. What is God? god like well let's look at the ways that we aren't apparently to this generation and let's kind of ask some questions 85 percent of american christians are hypocritical okay so jesus uses a couple of my favorite phrases um one sons of hell one of my all-time favorite phrases in scripture who does he call sons of hell in the bible for those of you who are familiar with the bible Religious leaders, Pharisees. Something interesting about Pharisees, right? We love, again, if you're a Christian, we love to bang on the Pharisees. These were the, this is the religious group that Jesus always seemed postured against. Uh, the Pharisees were amazing tithers, had incredible prayer life, were really devoted and consistent on Sunday. What other demographic within the Christian faith or any faith are like that? Evangelicals. Shh. This demographic, Okay. Um, Jesus is calling the, the Pharisees sons of hell because they're, like, heaping burdens on people that they shouldn't because of their religiosity. A uh, brood of snakes is another uh, good one. Whitewashed tombs. Say, <laughs> so, dude, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Just, just go, like, you're like a dead, nameless, dead person. Like, Jesus gets frustrated at the hypocrisy, at the heaping on of law, at the heaping on of expectations that were not of God onto the people. There was such moral and physical oppression coming from this religious leaders, these religious elite. Jesus is absolutely furious. What is God like when we look at our failures? Well, if 85%, between 16 and 29, outsiders see American Christians as hypocritical, Jesus its ironic because Jesus is constantly going after the hypocrites. Eighty-seven percent of uh, people call in this, demogra- in this study called Christians judgmental. Um, judgmental, this word has gotten a bit, like, funny uh, over the years. Judgment, really, in Scripture is sort of like condemning somebody. It doesn't mean, like, calling somebody out, like, hey, dude, you're doing that wrong. You should probably change course, like, done in this, like, really loving and redemptive way. Like, this is not about not calling people out. Judgment is being like, yeah, you always. Right? Black people always are. Right? Cops always are. These kinds of things, you know, that may or may not be popping up on social media these days. These kinds of condemnatory statements. These sort of like, yeah, they, my neighbor, those guys, always that group, this, this sort of like, right? Usually it's the folks that most are wanting grace, I have found, that end up turning and doing that. And Jesus charges into the scene, charges onto the planet with such a message of grace of the very people that judgment has been put on, that the religious leaders, that, that Caesar, that folks have said, these guys are out. These guys are out. Jesus has called back in grace. He said, actually, you're not going to get what you deserve. Actually, I'm the only one who can judge. Your job is to love. Jesus engages in, and ironically, as the ultimate judge right, the only one who's lived a perfect life, the only one who could hold anybody accountable, God reveals, here's what I am like. I want to call people home. What I am like is a God that hates the condemnatory. It's my job to do anything of that level of judgment. You are called to love, and I want to illustrate what this grace looks like. So 87% called Christians judgmental and Jesus comes after that sort of judgmentalism strongly. 91% and I could go through verses after verses here. I just want to give us a a, a glimpse of some of the ways that too often either we ourselves or others get this picture of what God is like based upon our awesome actions sometimes. 91% describe Christians as anti-homosexual. Jesus deals with people who have such... Unbelievably, like, I don't know how to describe it, like sexuality questions all over the map. And he deals and reorients people back to their true identity. He is unbelievably kind and gentle and loving when it comes to those who are sexually oppressed, sexual minorities, or have done to themselves like major, major uh, wrongs. They have not followed the way of God within their sexuality. And we see Jesus, in a number, three stories in particular, engage this. We're told throughout Scripture that our only identity should be actually in Jesus, first and foremost, above anything else. That to have any other identity, first and foremost, as anything other than a child of God is not what God's calling us to. And I'm not going to give a whole sermon on this right now. Um, I don't think I was quite in the spirit of Christmas. Um, But I think it's really important for us to recognize and to engage the fact that when Jesus comes against uh, those who uh, are broken of any kind, those who are hurting, those who are on the underside of power, Jesus is a way in which he comes to them uh, is often very different than many in the church have done. And at least this perspective from this demographic. Now, I've been a part of the church community for most of my life that I have not seen a lot of these things. Um, And that has been such a blessing. This is not an indictment of all Christians anywhere. In fact, I've found folks who are truly following Jesus to be some of the most beautiful, powerful, and passionate people on earth. But I use this. To kind of get it, what is our God actually like? And so the person of Jesus is just this force of, of peacemaking, this force of forgiveness. This God who eats and drinks with the least, with those who are most outcast and those who are most not in. And so it's so interesting to me. I was I was excited to kind of just hit on this quickly because I know this, especially this Sunday and the next couple. A lot of people just kind of visiting. It's Christmas time. A sense of like, oh, I'd love to pop in a church. This is a good season to do that. Like we're so glad you're here, and we want you to know that we're interested in truly following the God that actually looks like Jesus, the God who celebrates. This is what God is like. At Advent or Christmas time, this time of year reveals something profound about the nature of God. It reveals something about not just we get to reflect on the life of Jesus, right? Because that's really not what this season's about. Not all the incredibly beautiful, surprising, generous, ridiculous things that Jesus does. This season is supposed to be about what? About his coming about what's about to happen, right? We do the weird back to the future thing in the church. It's like Advent, so as if Jesus hasn't come yet. So we go, okay, what does it mean to be expecting the coming of Christ? And what does it mean to actually reflect on that anticipation as Jesus was about to come into the world? What does, and this is our question this morning, what does the way God comes to us tell us about what God is like. What does the way, like the way that God comes to us, how does that tell us? What does that tell us about what he is like? Jesus being born in a manger, in straw poverty, under questionable circumstances. We spend most of our days reflecting on what Jesus did But what is it about the way that Jesus actually comes to us? So anybody in marketing? Anyone in marketing? No? A couple of you? Uh, There's this, uh, you should go, this is like a staple in any kind of like marketing reading. So any of you have even done like communication studies in school. You've probably looked at Marshall McLuhan. He has this phrase called the medium is the message. Anyone ever heard this phrase before? The medium is the message. Anyone wonder, like, yeah, yeah, totally. The medium is the message, and just you've, like, dropped it in conversation to appear smart, and you had no idea what you are talking about? <clears throat> the first time I did, I definitely did that. Quick definition for you would be this. The method by which you send a message has just as much impact or more than the content of the message itself. Let me say that again. The medium is the message simply means that the method by which you send a message has just as much impact or more than the content of the message itself. It's sort of a challenge to our idea that tools are always neutral. Like a phone or a Twitter feed or Facebook, these things are just neutral. So it doesn't really matter. Like if I put that information out and I call you, if I post it up on Facebook, if I send it like via carrier pigeon, like it... like. It's just, those are just the mechanisms by which things come. Now this has been debated and how much was Marshall McLuhan kind of overshooting. But what it does is it helps us get at what is the, what, what factor does the way in which a message come actually play a role in how we receive it. This is how I would explain it. So imagine um, you've been dating a, a man, the man of your dreams for a couple of years. Uh, Two years moving toward marriage, you've been talking about it a lot. Um, and you know it's sort of coming. Right, you're kind of like, I think this is coming. have had a couple of those conversations. Right, he like weirdly disappeared, and someone said they saw him like near a jewelry store. He's asking questions about ring size. You know, he's like trying to be stealth, but not at all. You notice rings are missing like, from here. That's what I did. <laughs> So you're just kind of in anticipation, right? You're like, when's he going to ask me? How's he going to ask me? What's this going to look like? Like, How elaborate is this going to be? I've seen, like, you you start looking up YouTube videos of these elaborate things, placing totally unrealistic expectations on your fiancé or your possible future fiancé. And then, just then, like, just as you're, like, you're in, like, dreamland, you're, like, thinking about this. Oh, my gosh, I think it's coming any day. I think it's coming any day. You get a text that says this. That's intentionally (laughs) misspelled. How does this make you feel? What message does it send? Right? The content is the same. Like, whether I do it like this, what's the difference? I did it like this, like, will you marry me? Or, you know, I just shot you a text. Oop, missed the A, autocorrect. The content is exactly the same. Will you marry me? Feels a little different. The medium that's used conveys a sense. Was this like an afterthought? Where you're like, ah, ring's too expensive, it's like too much. Was it like a throwaway thought? You know? Did you not want to like look me in the eye and do this? So Jesus, like what is the way in which he comes? Jesus doesn't, sounds so cheesy, but he doesn't send a text. <laughs> what does he do? Born in a manger, becomes like us. Why does the way he comes matters? And my assumption has been the assumption of teachers and Christian tradition throughout the centuries has been that it reveals something central about God's character that will help us know him more the way in which he comes to us. 1 John uh, 4.8, if you have your Bibles out. John's letter uh, to one of the first churches, he says this, God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What do we know about the way, why God sends Jesus the way that he does? We, we know in, in our football verse, John 3, 16, for God was so was angry at the world, for God was so wrathful at the world, for God was so ticked off, for God was so frustrated, for God was so, no, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Here's the thing about love. If we're to understand, if we're to trust scripture that God's fundamental essence is love, then I think that actually helps us, again, connect the dots to why Jesus comes Why God sends Jesus the way that he does. Love, by nature, needs to find form. I would humbly submit that love, by its very nature, needs to find form. Essence has to manifest itself. It's absolutely inevitable. It's logical. Love has to become an action. Love has to become something concrete. So I think around the Christmas story, and a lot of people have reflected on this. There's something weirdly logical that if we trust that God is love, that if love at the very centers is at the center of everything. I have a couple of friends who are just like off the charts, like hippieville. Like I love them so much. Kind of like a pseudo Christianity. Yeah, some of you are actually like straight up hippies, and I love that about you. I'm not talking about like like bearded quasi hipster hippies. Like I'm talking like you're full blown like you still like do the drum circle and you get excited when drum circles come around. I don't understand that, but I love you. And so a couple of these folks, they have this sort of vague sense, right? Of like, yeah, man, at the center of everything is totally love. It makes sense. There's, we want that. We call that some sort of innate human thing. And it's, again, this vague spirituality, but God doesn't really take any initiative or action. God's just sort of in and around everything. God just sort of like kind of is creation itself, right? It's like a pantheism kind of idea. I mention that because I think the incarnation, what is entirely unique about the Christian story is that it actually... Places a bit of a logic to the fact that when we say that God is love, what does love have to do? It has to manifest. It has to show itself. It has to engage. It has to. For God's so for so loved God, God because of His love sent Jesus as a sacrifice for us. Essence has to become reality. One way you could say this. Um, any of you follow me on Instagram? Oh, I got a killer account. It's great. My, like, how many people I like to other people, like, like me, like, you know, ratio is pretty solid. You know, I don't even use the the filters. I use Visco. you know, I bring the the images in. Yep. Um, Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Shut up, Andrew. Um, Can you put up the next slide, the hashtag? Uh, My daughter is named Harper Mook. We made a horrible mistake by thinking like, oh, well hashtag, or, the proper use of a hashtag is, most people have actually forgotten this, you click on the hashtag and then you see everybody who at, like, at any point throughout time has ever put that same hashtag on. That's how a hashtag works. So we like, it's like creating a subject. So we could all right, Harper Mook. so then when you know my sister-in-law takes a picture, when a cousin takes a picture, when an uncle, and if anybody takes a picture, it'll all be grouped together so we'll be able to always see them all. What I didn't think about was that anybody, Anybody could just like click on Harper Milk. Like for instance, I'm talking to 200 of my closest friends right now. And you can just click on Harper Milk and you're going to see every picture I've ever taken with my daughter. Really safe. Really awesome. Um, like I have had people multiple times come up to me in like restaurants or just walking around and be like, Hey, it's going to sound weird. I'm like, oh, I already know what you're going to say. And it does sound weird. So don't say it. Yeah, like your daughter's super cute, man. <laughs> I don't even know you. Next slide. This is Harper with Santa Claus. Yeah, I think she's nice. Uh, This is Harper just looking epically awesome. Um, You, you, no, 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 no. Put that away. Put that away. Oh, you gave it away. That's all right. We'll get to that in a second. I talked to you about my daughter is because as soon as I actually had a kid, I swore I wouldn't be that dad who posts a million pictures. I vowed. I will not be that dad. I am that dad. And the thing is, and actually, you know, it's funny. Corey and I joke, my wife and I joke, the amount of pictures I actually take to the ones I post, that ratio is pretty good. But that shows you how many pictures I actually take. It's like 30 a day. My phone is filled up with like 4,000 pictures right now. Love has to manifest. Like, there's something, that the fact that, like, I have a daughter, I, I literally, it, I, I promise, you can question my motives, but this is not about, like, hey, look how, like, I don't know, nice my daughter is today. Like, I just want to share it. I, I just, I cannot handle it. Like, oh my gosh, if everybody could see what she's doing right now, everybody would be blessed in the greatest way possible. Wars would end. This whole Ferguson thing would go away. Just look at her. She's cute. There will be no more killing. There will be no more violence in the streets. It's silly, but it's like this thing has to manifest itself. This deep, passionate love. I just want to, and it sounds like a silly example. This is another example. Go ahead and put it up now. Go ahead, Corey. Shooley weds. Uh, Some of you don't know this. There's a couple in our church who just got married, John and Maddie, one of the best people, some of the best people I know in my life. They're amazing and beautiful on the inside, kind of on the outside. But just really, really beautiful people. Um, And so it's the same thing, right? You can only imagine, guys, right here. I can only imagine. Like, like as soon as you get married, you're like, but we're married. Everybody's got to know, like, what we're doing. Like, next slide. What would you end up pulling, Corey? Oh, it was just that one. Oh, yeah, like how do you not share that picture? And some of you are like, oh my gosh, you post one more picture. You know, I'm sure you say that to me about Harper. You say that about anybody who's like doing anything nice. You're like, why do they always have to post their niceness? I get that, but you have your own problems and you need to deal with that. Right? You just can't help it. Like we were, we were walking the other day. It's like the most dumb detail ever. But how can you not share it? Love has to Manifest. This is what the incarnation is. And so sometimes people ask the question about God, like why didn't God like write his name in the sky? Like why wasn't it ri- why wasn't, like plain English in the stars or something like that? Like, It's not just that we, I would just submit this idea to you, it's not just that we need to know that God is out there, but we need to know what God is like and why it matters and his desire for us. That God is here and in the thick of it. That God is a God of love. That God is writing his name across all that is good and true and beautiful. There's something about the fact that God comes the way that he does that tells us something true about who he is. That we, as creation, need to know and trust something deeper than just God is out there. right? Most faith systems have a detached God. Right, the very essence of a of a, of a social humanist scientific worldview is that God is just is a, there is no God, but that there is just like this totally impersonal sort of system out there. It's just math, and it's interesting, and it's unique, and it's dynamic, all those things. But it's it's impersonal, and so God. In An absolute brilliance and essence and beauty and truth of all that God is, this is how he made himself known to us, not as a detached God in the sky, not as some uh, uh, system or thing at play that really has no desire or care for what's actually happening at all. It actually is a God who wants to show us what he is like, that he is with us, that he will endure what we have endured, that he is for us. That's what God is like. It makes sense then of all sorts of interesting stories to me. Um, the Second to last passage, we're going to turn to Luke 24. All right, I'm starting to wake up now. See Harper just does it. No, it was the shooly weds. That's what did it. Luke 24. This is a story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you know the story, or if you don't know the story, um, Jesus has died uh, on the cross, all these disciples who were hoping, some of them who just did not get it, were hoping that he was going to kind of overthrow Rome or set things right, put everything back together, make everything new. All these Old Testament prophecies were going to come true. Jesus was going to radically like set everything right, and he's dead in the most humiliating, brutal way possible that humanity's probably ever cooked up. He dies on a cross. So some of the disciples are walking away, on the road to Emmaus, they're walking away from where everything has happened, questioning, like, like I, I, can, sure, I can bet anything and everything. Totally disappointed. We followed this guy for three years. We thought he was going to be a military leader. We thought he was going to do this. And then Jesus comes to them in this story in Luke 24. If you're Jesus, you've just risen from the dead. You got 40 days, we're told in scripture, before he, he ascends. What would you do? I would get in front of as many people as possible. Guys, check this out. Dead, not dead. Believe. This is not complicated, God. This is your, like, booyah moment. Like, you see that? What? Like, you know? Like, maybe get a hype man or something. Like, that guy! Like, This is everything. This should be the big moment. Right? Just think, I mean, to me, logically, that's how I process it. You're probably much smarter than I am. But that's to me how I would think this would be the best way. Or wait until, like, YouTube is around. Like, pause this whole thing. We can wait another couple thousand years. Wait till YouTube. Dude, drives from the dead on YouTube. Everybody knows. Boom, story over. Nailed it. It's not how God comes. I'm not going to try to climb into the mind of God and understand why the timing of what. But what is interesting is that I think we learn something about even here in this story at the end, at the opposite side of the Advent story, how Jesus comes to his disciples. Like we get insight into the heart of God. He seeks out the people who have given up, who are discouraged, and he calls them back. He chooses the unfaithful ones that are about to abandon him and do while he's alive, and then he calls them back, and he says the gates of hell aren't gonna, are like not even going to stand against you. Like, imagine this. This is how Jesus comes to the most discouraged. This is how God moves. This is the character of God. Caring for the least and the discouraged. Another passage in Luke. To go back now to Advent, Luke 1. We studied this on our home groups this week. We reflected on the the, the prophecy of, the, of uh, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is like the opening act before Jesus comes on the scene. He's like the... the, the, the The stage hands or the opening band. He's the guy who's like getting everything ready. And we read this prophecy of this what John the Baptist is going to do. In verse 76. And you, my child, talking about John, the guy who's going to get everybody ready for Jesus, will be called prophet of the Most High. So he's going to be the prophet of Jesus. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's like saying present the offer of salvation to the people. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Even at the very beginning of the story, right, the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we learn something about how God moves. He lays his life down for people and he this is what the story of Jesus is is him laying himself down and this moment in history is going to be so epic and so pivotal and so incredible recognizing like what the forgiveness of sins looks like recognizing you can have a relationship with this God Jesus is about to reveal the fullness of God and he does not want anyone to miss it prophets their primary job is to get people ready for what's about to happen that's what prophets do they go this is about to happen get ready God cares so much about the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And at this pivotal moment in history, it's like I'm sending somebody ahead. You do not want to miss this. How does God come? Not just as a baby born in a manger. Not just as a God who wants to make himself known and manifest. God goes ahead of even his own action and goes, Dude, get the stage ready. I do not want people to miss what's about to happen. Waking people up and calling people home. This is the God who goes the extra mile to engage and to reach and to be with us, he preparing a way, this is how God moves, desiring everyone to come to know him, it says in the scriptures, the Christmas story is one way that God says, do you know how important you are? Do you know? Look at the way that I have come to you, and look what I have done for you. Do you know how important you are? Wake up. Wake up. And that's why God calls us to repentance. Repentance got, like, jacked up and, like, co-opted by the fundamentalists, like, by these, like, backwards, like people who just love to spew judgment on people. Repentance is one of the most beautiful, powerful, unbelievable terms we could ever hold on to. It's a turn back. That's all it means. Turn back. Come back. Wake up. Recognize. Turn back to me. Turn away from everything that would lead to destruction. Turn away from everything that will lead you to despondency and apathy and selfishness and foolishness and, and... and surfaceness turned back to me. This story is one way that God says, do you know how important you are? If the God of the universe was born in a dirty, messy manger, there is no mess in our lives that God is not willing to step into. There's no mess in our lives that God is not willing to step into. This is what we learn about how God comes to us, love, his love for us has to manifest. His love for us, it just, it, it explodes out. It, it says, and this isn't me, like, just kind of my like, philosophical ideas, like, for God so loved the world that he, that he came. God loved the world so he sent his son as atoning ex. It's because of his love that Jesus came. There is no debate. There is no question mark. There is no up for dispute. There are no books to be written about why did God come? God came, he loves us. He wanted to redeem and forgive. God sends John the Baptist. Zechariah prophesies of the man is going to come and set the thing up. After Jesus dies and rises again, he goes to his disciples. and he, How he comes to them and coming alongside those who are most beaten down and broken and hurting, and he comes to them. We learn something fundamental about the character of God in this season. It's stunning that we have a God who comes to us in this way. The medium, in part, is the message. God does not, from a distance, <laughs> text, will you marry me? God shows up. The marriage metaphor is actually really ap- like appropriate. <laughs> this is the, the image that we get around communion. This is the imagery that comes up over and over in the scriptures. For those of you who are new, you get this picture of God just wanting to, to be in covenant, to be in marriage with his people. For God so loved, for God so loved, for God so loved that he came that he comes, and that he's coming. If the God of the universe could be born into the mess of this world, there is no mess that God is not willing to step into in your own life. So this quote that you have on your card, what love, what care, what fearless joy has found us in the night. What love, what care, What fearless joy has found us in the night. We've had an opportunity this season to expect big things from God, to have reasons to put our hope in something outside of our circumstances. And as Aaron talked about last week, the God who actually comes alongside and with us and who walks with us. And today, all I simply hope to sort of seal in us is the sense that the way in which God comes tells us something profound about the very character of who God is, that this love, this joy has found us. We have not found him. And for some of us, we spend, and probably most of us, spend most of our lives trusting this fact that we are loved by God. For some of us, it's become just an idea to assent to that actually has no bearing on our everyday, which simply means you just don't get it. The way in which this shifts how we think about our value, our need to compare, our need to jockey for position, our need to, or our our propensity to be overwhelmed with anxiety, we forget because we look around and we see an evil and broken world. We look around and we see the mistakes of so many. We realize everything in our life reinforces you have to earn, you have to earn, you have to earn, you have to earn. It reinforces this idea of a distant God instead of opening us up to the God who has been with us the whole time, the God who has found us in the night, the God who has stepped into our mess, a God who is so overwhelmed with love, who is so full of redemptive posture towards his creation, would probably be a better way to say that, that he comes to us, that he comes to us. And so um, this morning, as we enter into a second time of reflection, to merely believe in God Uh, is sort of like to read a menu and expect it to satisfy your hunger. And God is inviting us to experience the meal. It is so easy for all of us, and I am the chief of sinners, to stand back and ascribe to a bunch of ideas about who God is. And not just say, God, I want to know you more. I want to trust that this is what you're like. Because that's really our invitation today, is to simply trust what God is like. He's, this is who he says he is. This is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, a tortured man committing the ultimate act of love. This is who God is. To trust that, to trust that that's what you're worth to trust what God is doing in and through you and wants to, and that it is not God who is distant, but you. That's not to create pressure, and that's not to create one more thing to do. It is to simply stop and breathe and recognize that the God of the universe is for you. And that God has every reason to... (laughs) wipe us out, smite us, do away with all the evil in the world? How many of you, given the news in the last 24 hours, are like, I don't know why God puts up with this anymore? And yet we have a God who is that compassionate, that he would come to us like he does. What love, what care, what fearless joy has found us in the night. Do you know how important you are? Lord, um, for some of us, um, we need to invite you for the first time kind of into the conversation Like, every bone in our body is, like, fighting what our heart is probably feeling. And so, I just thank you. I feel like there's nothing I can actually ask you to do when I look at the the Christmas story. It's like you've done it. You've, You've done it. You've shown us what you're like. You're not a mystery anymore. There's no question whether, (laughs) whatever it is. There's no question your posture towards us. What we deserve and what our posture towards us is. Our propensity towards judgmentalism and hypocrisy and brokenness and who you really are. There's no question about, about what you are up to. Help us trust you. Help us, Lord, trust you. To my sisters and brothers, who are filled with anxiety and depression and just spent, I invite you right here in this moment, right now, just all over again, just to say, I trust you. I invite you to take hold of the identity that God has said that God has put on you, the identity that you have in him. Those of you who are here and followers of Jesus, to know that, to trust that. To my brothers and sisters, my friends who are here and who have never truly just ever said, I trust you or I want to who have never truly said I want to I want to turn back to you God and turn Lord uh, in a way that would return me to the person you created me to be like for the first time I I just don't let this moment go by Take this moment with just eyes closed, just to say, I'm in. I need to raise your hand and declare it. To Just take a moment and go, yeah, yeah. I, I if this is what you're like, God, I, I'm in. I want to follow you. I want to turn back. If this is what you're like, if you would come to us like this, I'm in. want to trust that your sins have been forgiven, and that God wants to make you new and use you just as an agent of reconciliation and beauty and love and wonder in this world. Just declare it. To my brothers and sisters who are on top of the world right now, just overflowing with joy and love, may they praise you first, and they give thanks to you first. And may they take up the great and joy-filled, exuberant, life-giving occupation, calling to love others, to reach out to those who are hurting and pull them up. to mourn with those who are mourning, to pray for those who are hurting, to demonstrate and announce the gospel, good news, Lord, that you are Lord and are making new our hearts and all of creation. What love, what care, what fearless joy has found us in the night? What love, what care, what fearless joy has found us in the night?